by show of hands, how many love fishing? You love fishing? Come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many hate it? You just hate fishing. Like, there's a lot of guys that love fishing, and a lot of the ladies are like, what in the world is so fun about going out there for four hours and not saying a word? And all the guys are like, a lot. There's a lot of fun with that. I know this is going to come as a surprise to many of you. I've never been fishing. I know. I know it's hard because I know you look at me as the outdoor rugged type. But I've never been fishing. I've been casting four times, but I've never caught anything. And it's, I've tried, really tried. Like I put every, every ounce of effort into this, but it's difficult because you go to a store and when you go to a store, it's so difficult because there's so many fishing poles. You got to pick a fishing pole. There's aisles and aisles of fishing poles. You got to get the right one. This is for deep sea uh, fishing. This is for, I think, any type of fishing. I don't even know what that one's for. There's just so many poles. Like, how do you even select a fishing pole? And then to talk about bait, like there's so much bait and so many different types of lures. And then there's hooks. There's a whole section just on hooks. This, this here is for like deep sea water. I don't know what kind of fish you can catch with that, but that's nasty looking. Look at that, that hook. And then you have this one, which is for, for like uh, bass. It, it, I, why do they have to make it look like a fairy? And it just kind of goes through the water. And then you have, you have this one, which is, again, deep sea. And I'm thinking, who would want that? Like, if you're a fish, why would you say, that looks good to me? And then there's different bobs. You put the bobs in there. And then you have the different bait. Like, this is trout bait. There's, it's green. And this one is, this is trout bait. And it's, it's, it's laced with garlic? Oh my gosh, that's gross. Oh my gosh. That's, dis- that's disgusting. So it's difficult. I remember the first day I ever went fishing. We got a fishing pole, and my daughters are so excited. I have four girls, and we went out to Contra Loma. And I mean, we had everything planned. We just knew we were going to come back with bucket loads of fish. We go to Contra Loma, we have our pole, we make a picnic basket lunch. We set up, we get a good spot on, the, on the, the reservoir, and we're sitting down. We have our chairs, and each of them are begging me, Daddy, Daddy, can I? I want to cast first. I want to cast first. So I, I gave them the, the fishing pole, and they cast first, and it wasn't very good. I mean, just like a few feet in front of us, I was like, girls, let Daddy show you how it's done. So I grab it, and I cast it, and it, and it wasn't much further. It was like a foot past. And we finally got a good cast, right? We finally got a good cast, and they're all at the edge of the water with eyes wide as saucers, they are anticipating catching a fish immediately. Like girls, kids, they have no concept of time. And they just think it's all coming right now. And so we're waiting. We're waiting. And nothing's happening. I reel it in and they're excited. They're expecting. They just know a fish is going to be on the end of this hook. There's nothing there. Again. We pull it back, nothing. Again, we cast, we really didn't, nothing. I mean, for like three hours. Do you know how much of a letdown that was? Like, we just stopped at, grocery, at the grocery store, Safeway, on the way home and bought a fish. You know, that's, how many do most of your fishing at Safeway? Come on. It's easier that way. They don't move. Now, you've heard what they say, though. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So no problem. We didn't catch anything the first time. No big deal. 
I'm sure I'm not the only one. And so we go out a second time. We cast, we get our picnic baskets, we get our spot, we get the chairs, we cast, and we reel in, and two hours of nothing. We go a third time. We get our picnic basket, we get our chairs, we get our fishing pole, we get our bait, nothing. Oh, we go a fourth time. Ladies and gentlemen, we caught nothing. Let me say, this is all in a reservoir where they regularly stock it with fish for the sole purpose of people catching it. And we still caught nothing. Everybody else around us is catching large quantities of fish. Everybody that is except the Nepstats. And after two painstaking hours, we're there and a stranger comes up to us. A stranger who is catching schools of fish. He's right next to us. He sees, he sees that we can't catch and he comes up and he gives me a fish. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Like, oh, that's so nice of him. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know how humiliating that was? For me to have, as a father, to have to have a complete random stranger come up and give you a fish because you are unable, unable and incapable of catching one on your own. He said, did you take it? Yeah, I took it. We took it home. We cooked it. We ate it. But it tastes like failure. It was bad. I haven't been back since. Now, I know I'm not the only one who's ever had a bad day at fishing. Today, we're going to look at a few guys in the Bible. These are called the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the early interns of Christ. And and they had a bad day at fishing, but this day would turn into one of the greatest days of their life. It actually turned into the day that their entire trajectory of their life would change as they would follow Jesus and go on to be some of the greatest leaders of the church. Before we get in, many of you know we went to Israel uh, about a month and a half ago. And I've been shooting different videos at different spots to help us understand the geographical context of where some of the stories of Jesus are. So I want to show you this video again. I know you saw it a couple weeks ago. I want to show it again because there's so many great stories that happen on the Sea of Galilee just to kind of get a glimpse of where we are in our text. Let's take a look at this. Now, I show you this to let you know how vast the Sea of Galilee is. It's like the size of Washington, D.C., And on this lake, several miracles took place. And I want to look at a few things. But before we jump into Luke chapter 5, I want to jump back to Luke chapter 4. Because anytime that you read a Bible verse, it's always important to look at the verses right before your text and the verses after your text to give you context to understand what's going on. So before we look at Luke 5, Luke chapter 4, verse 42, look on your screen because it's not in your notes At daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. In other words, he went to a place where he can just get alone, he could rest. And the people were hunting for Jesus. They're looking for him, like, where is Jesus? And when they find him, they try to get him not to leave. Isn't that funny? They want to keep Jesus all for themselves. They're selfish with Jesus. They don't want the message of Jesus to go to anybody else. Jesus, just stay here, stay here. And you got to love the heart of Jesus in in Luke 4, verse 43. Jesus said this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Come on, how many love the heart of Jesus to keep reaching out? You say, well, why did we serve 20 different outreaches this week to serve our city? For the same reason Jesus Christ went to other towns. We've got to get this message of hope and healing to every city on the planet. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? So that's the context of what's going on. Jesus then in Luke chapter 5 is, is on the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called the Sea of Gennesaret. 
So the, the, the Sea of Galilee has several different names. And in Luke chapter 5, we're going to see the first time that Jesus met Peter, James, and John. Write this down, that God sees me. God sees me. Sometimes we wonder, can he see me? Does he know where I am? Is he just too distracted with, with all the other things on the planet to see me? Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Underline this phrase, he saw, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Okay, look, would you look at me for just a moment? Let me explain what's going on in our story. Jesus is teaching on the edge of that sea that you just saw. Crowds are starting to build. He's teaching. They're hanging on every word that he's saying. And then all of a sudden, he sees three guys. Hundreds of people probably are gathering, but that doesn't stop him from seeing Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John did not come for the service. They did not come for church. They did not come for Jesus. They don't even know Jesus, but Jesus knew them. They didn't come for Jesus. They came, they're trying to get paid. They weren't trying to look for a savior who could forgive them from their sins. That wasn't even on their radar, okay? You understanding this? And here's Jesus. He's teaching a crowd, and they're there listening. They're, they're at this point in their life. Their life could best be described as they were consumed with looking for everything else but Jesus. The Bible says that they had a problem. They were washing their nets. They were washing their nets. Funny thing, when you're fishing back in the day, you don't wash your nets until you're done. Write this down. I'm done. I'm done. It's a phrase many of you have used before, haven't you? In a moment of weakness, in a moment of frustration, look at verse 5. The Bible says they were washing their nets. He goes on to say, Simon answered him after Jesus asked a question, Master, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. We have worked all night and we are done. We, are, we haven't caught anything, Jesus. Our nets are empty. I'd like to ask you a few questions. But before I do that, let me explain some things. Here they are searching for something. Here they are looking for something. They have all their time invested in this. They have a lot of energy invested in this. And let me just say, this is not fly fishing. This is not easy casting and just reel it in. This is heavy, soggy, wet nets with weights on them that they throw overboard and they wait for a little while and then they have to muscle them back in every single time they're empty. This is a big difference from me at the reservoir just fishing for fun and them because this is their livelihood. It'd be like you going to work and not getting paid. They worked all night and caught nothing. Are you with me? So this is the context, and Luke records that they, at the end of their night, are so frustrated. And I'd like you to imagine the frustration on their face, the disappointment of not catching anything. Not because it was a bad fishing trip, because it was a bad day at the office. This is what they put their, their faith in, their provision in, and now they're washing their nets because they're done. I wonder, is there anybody in the room that can relate to this, to know what it feels like to be searching for something? to be looking for something, 
to put your time and your energy into something and you come up empty every time. Maybe you're starting to understand what the weary fisherman felt like because you have probably recently said to yourself, I'm done. I'm done. What I've been trying to do on my own, I'm done. I've been looking for purpose and meaning in life, but it's not working for me. I'm done. Maybe what you've been trying to fill your life with, but you keep coming up empty. I'm done. Maybe I've been trying to work out this own solution in my life, but every time I try to work harder, it just seems like I just get emptier and and, in worse shape. I feel so done. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's you, let me tell you, that's a great place to be because Jesus has been waiting for you to come to the end of yourself. That is the very moment that Jesus Christ steps in and he says, I want in now. I want in. Write this in your notes. Jesus wants in. Jesus wants in. The next verse, verse 3, says he got in one of the boats. When Jesus stepped into the boat, he stepped into their lives. He stepped into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. If we were honest with ourselves We have used a lot of things in life to attract and to lure and to get certain things in life by using the bait of other things. If we were honest, there's some things in our life that maybe we we have this desire to be uh, accepted in relationships and, and find fulfillment, and so we've tried to find that in the wrong relationships. And we've taken the bait of a mask. We put a mask on, and we we have tried to fit into crowds that we don't belong in. We've tried to fit into a crowd that we were never meant to fit into. But we're using bait to try and lure relationships that we know we shouldn't be a part of. Maybe it's been the need to be accepted, and so we we get the bait of pride, and we have the pride come, and we overcompensate for such deep-seated insecurity. Maybe it's the bait of greed, because really, deep in our heart, all we want is more stuff. It's interesting because it doesn't matter how hard you work, It doesn't matter how long it takes. What are you fishing for? If you're using the wrong bait, ladies and gentlemen, you will still end up empty. I've heard it said that what you catch is determined by the type of bait you use. (laughs) By the way, that can also be said and applied to dating. Why do I keep attracting the same type of man? Well, take a look at what kind of bait you're using. (laughs) Sean, could you have stayed away a couple more weeks? Why do I keep attracting the same type of girl? Check out the bait you're using. Because other girls wouldn't be attracted to that bait. You can't catch a tuna with trout bait. What kind of bait are you using? And we look at this, everything you're searching for in the world, you have to use something else to try and get it. Look at this. Follow me. You have used the bait. I have used the bait of something else to try and acquire and lure something else to me. You don't go fishing with nothing. There's always bait on the hook. Nothing is attracted to nothing. You don't catch a fish with no hook and no lure and no bait. Nothing is attracted to nothing. That is except Jesus. He's attracted to your nothing. Let me say it another way. 
Your emptiness has lured Jesus to you. He's attracted to your emptiness. He's the only one who comes in in our moment of brokenness, in our moment of weakness, which is crazy because have you ever seen a movie and like in the movie they're planning this elaborate plan and it looks really bad. Like it's, it doesn't even make sense. It's way too risky. And, and, and all the facts are pointing to you should run away from this. And then the star of the movie says, I'm it. And then the movie begins to unfold. That's what Jesus did. Like loving you and me is risky. But Jesus' love is not predicated on your performance or your ability or your act getting all together. Jesus Christ steps into your brokenness. He steps into your emptiness. He steps into your lives right where you are, right where I am. Why? Because he's attracted to that. He longs for you to finally come to grips with understanding that you can only be fulfilled in him. And Jesus comes and write this down. He asks them, let's go deeper. He says, let's, let's go deeper, guys. Verse 4 says it best. When he had finished speaking, he said to them, put out into the deep water. Somebody say deep water. And let down your nets for a catch. Now, wherever you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe some of you, you don't have one yet. That's okay. You're still welcome here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ at the end if you'd like to. Maybe for some of you, you're brand new. Like, it's been weeks or months. You're just so excited. You started this new thing called a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years. Okay, listen to me, everybody. Jesus' heart for you is exactly the same no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. And here it is. Jesus is saying, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Well, what does that look like for you? For some of you, it's to start by knowing God. That would be the deeper for you. And I love that because that's what Sundays, that's what Sundays are for. We want people to come and find out about who Jesus and the hope and the healing that he can offer. And I want to introduce you to him in just a moment. For many of you to pray a prayer of commitment to give your life to Christ. Others of you, maybe it's to find freedom and you really need to get in a small group because that's where relationships take place. That's where freedom takes place. We just are coming to the end of our small group semester, but many of you would like to lead a small group for the next semester. Well, that's great because starting today, all the way for the next like six weeks, we're going to have a small group training, 1230 in the growth track room for those of you that want to help lead people to freedom. You only need to go to one. It's not six weeks. We'll just provide them for the next six weeks. So you go to one class, and that's how you get training to lead a small group about whatever you want it to be about. I mean, it can be Bible study. It can be, it can be about serving the city, just like our Servolution this week, whatever that is. But I think many of you have a heart for that. And then maybe, maybe, just maybe, some of you are ready to go deeper and discover your purpose finally. That is our growth track. That happens the first Sunday of every month. That's when it begins, step one. The second Sunday, step two. Third Sunday, step three. Fourth Sunday, step four. I mean, it's really easy. We have so many people, 450 people that have gone through the growth track since we've been in this building in the last couple months. Can we clap our hands and welcome all of them to the team? And maybe you're saying, Sean, I went through the growth track, but I haven't gotten on a team yet. I, I want to make a difference. Listen, if you want to make a difference, that's where you begin to, we step up and serve somewhere on the dream team. The dream team is everybody who serves around here, where we don't come to church for ourselves anymore. We come for those who aren't here yet, because we were so grateful the day we showed up that people were serving. 
We were so grateful the day we showed up, people were giving. We are so grateful the day we showed up, people were praying for us, and they didn't even know what we looked like. What does it look like for you to go deeper? I would challenge you to take that step. What does that mean for you? Because you can imagine what Peter and the boys must have felt when they're there and they're frustrated, and Jesus is like, let's go deeper. Can you imagine them washing their nets? They're done. They haven't caught anything all night. And they looked at Jesus and say, Jesus, <laughs> thanks for that. But let me just tell you, I don't know if you know this or not. We are prof- we're professional fishermen. We grew up on this lake. I know you're talk- telling us to go out deeper, but if there were any fish in the lake, we would have caught them by now. Jesus says in verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night. We've caught nothing. Why is it that our first response to Jesus is always unbelief? Jesus just said, hey, go, go out in the deep. We're going to catch some fish. Hmm. Sounds nice, but I don't think so. I think it's because we've, we've tried so many other things that have left us empty. And then when Jesus steps in and says something, that unbelief still is playing out to what you have accomplished on your own. A lot of us are like, when I say, hey, um, purpose and fulfillment is possible in your life. You can actually find that no matter how old you are. A lot of you be like, well, Sean, I've been around the block. I've tried a lot. Thanks for that. But I've, I've tried a lot and I'm still empty. I know because that's, you, you, that's what you did on your own. But when Jesus steps in, he turns everything around. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus stepping into their life. Jesus says something. He says in verse, well, let, write this down. This is important. That blessing comes from obedience. They wanted the blessing, but it first comes from obedience. Because, verse 6, but because you say so, like we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, Jesus, I'll let down our nets. And when they had done so, they caught a large number of fish, large number of fish, that their nets began to break. Are you picturing this? So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Sinking with blessing. Now, the blessing came not because they thought so. Not because they planned on doing so. Not because they said, when we get time enough, We'll get around to doing so. It was because they said, no, Jesus, because you say so, I'll trust you. Because you say so, I'll obey. I'll obey you not because this makes sense to me, not because I can see how all this is going to play out. Jesus, I'm just simply going to do what you asked me to do because you say so. Listen, we want our nets to be filled before we obey. It doesn't come that way. Blessing comes from obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. They followed Jesus. And all of a sudden, their nets began to break with so much provision. Now look at the response of Peter. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now a lot of people would would just be happy. We have fish. Peter knew this was no ordinary man. He fell down on his knees and he began to cry, go away from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I don't even belong to be, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't belong here in your presence. Verse 9, 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I feel like there's a lot of you, you've been struggling with different things that have kept you away from Christ. And now you're worried about how's this going to look? What's it going to be like? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. From now on. He's not diving into your past. From now on, you are going to follow Jesus and make a difference in people's lives. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats to shore Watch this phrase. They left everything and followed him. This is astonishing. It's amazing to me. What they had been searching for all of a sudden became irrelevant compared to following Jesus. The Bible says they're following Jesus. They left everything. What happened? Their priorities shifted. When the Bible says that they left everything, that included the fish. Why? I'll tell you why. Because their focus shifted from the provision to the provider. They left it all. And they followed Jesus. There's two, two major requirements to following God. <clears throat> Number one, write this down. We must first recognize our own sinfulness. Recognize our own sinfulness. I know society likes to teach that there's not really anything bad, that nothing's really sinful. Let me just tell you, I am so sinful. All of us have struggled with sin. We've all fallen short of the perfection that God requires. None of us can fix ourselves. We've got to admit that. And then secondly, receive Jesus as Savior. First of all, recognize our own sinfulness, and then, and then don't, don't stay on that. The next step is receive Jesus as the Savior. He's the only one who can step into your life, who can step into your boat, who can step into your situation and your emptiness and your brokenness and turn it all around. He's the only one who can offer grace and forgiveness and eternal life. It's just Jesus. He's the answer to our church. He's the answer to our family. He's the answer to our finances. He's the answer to our nation. He's the answer to our equation. He's the answer. He is the answer. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And when we get back to being that type of believer that we are believing what he said and saying, God, because you say so, I'm willing to leave certain things in my life to follow you. Let me ask you a question. What in your life is keeping you from following Jesus? Peter would go on to be one of the greatest leaders of the early church. That moment where he really gave his life to Jesus, that was key for Peter. So I guess I have two questions for you today. Number one, what have you been fishing for? You've been looking for fulfillment and peace, purpose, some type of reconciliation of your past. Let me ask you another question. What do you need to leave behind? That moment in Peter's life, Jesus was so, so, so amazing that Peter said, Jesus, 
I'm willing to walk away from anything. He was so taken with Jesus. Let me ask you, do you remember the moment where you were so taken with him? Where you would have done anything for Jesus? Because of the grace and the forgiveness and the hope that he restored in your life. And I ask you today, what's changed? I'll tell you what's changed. We get distracted with fish. There's a lot of life that comes in and begins to distract us. And today, with all of my heart, I want to say as a church, Lord, with everything, we want to follow you. Come on, let's sing this song out together.